Faith Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Publitz, and welcome back to the fifth Sunday after Pentecost for the week of June 27th, 2021, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast, and I'm excited because yet again, we have a lot of readings this week, which is always a lot of fun, and I feel like we have some kind of unique situations here this week. But it also, just this season of growing and to see the beginnings of Jesus' ministry, how we're being challenged to step into the boat, go into the storm, be uncomfortable. And yet that's part of our faith development. That is part of becoming who Christ is calling us to be, being willing and able to step outside of that comfort zone, which leads perfectly into the Twitter question I had for you last week, which is how comfortable are you with being uncomfortable? How comfortable are you with being uncomfortable? And that's a hard question because it's something that you're constantly monitoring, you're constantly working on. And the moment that you think that you are comfortable with being uncomfortable, then it's time to change something up. So it's this constant process to work on, but yet as I got with responses this last week, it's something that can be worked on. It is something that as you continue to be challenged and pushed in that way, it forces you to get comfortable with this place of not necessarily knowing everything that's going on and allowing God to be able to lead. And that's, I think, part of the whole process is allowing God the possibility to help lead us in these different times when we don't necessarily have everything under control, which is probably for our benefit in the long run. So before we jump into this week, we have a couple things to discuss Again, like the last few weeks, and we will have throughout the summer, we have the semi-continuous reading and the psalm. And then when the one would go with the lectionary and the psalm that go with that. But this week, there's optional readings for that Old Testament reading. So we have a second Samuel text tagged with the psalm. And then you have either the Wisdom of Solomon or the Song of Solomon or a Lamentation reading paired with the psalm. So we're going to be jumping into it. A lot of text to go through. But I definitely feel that there is a theme this week that can definitely be talked about and I think in a unique way kind of looked at and discussed and thinking about it from our own perspective and what we can do about it. So let's just jump into this. The first reading is from 2 Samuel chapter 1 verse 1 and verse 17 through 27. So this is kind of catching us up on everything that's been going on. Verse 1 reminds us that Saul has died. And that David returns after fighting and being part of his army. And then we get this lament for Saul and Jonathan from David, talking about how even though, especially with Saul, that he was trying to kill David at different points in his life, he understands that God was still with him and trying to understand that we still have to honor and pay our respects and understand that God is still in this, even though it might seem kind of dreary at the moment. It's a moment where we really get a human side of David. And we get that a lot in the Psalms too, but just kind of this weeping and mourning over these deaths. And especially Jonathan, who is his probably closest friend. So this feel of just God's going to have to be here and we have to continue to trust God to get us through this. But yes, we're going to be sad and this saddens God as well. 
The psalm that goes with that is Psalm 130, all eight verses of it. And this is just a lament psalm, if you can't say, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my voice and my supplications. If you, O Lord, should make iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch the morning, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. So there's all eight verses of it. So again, this, even as we're going through something hard, God continues to still bring forth good things. So continue to lay into that love that God has for us. So this is where we get the option reading if you're not doing the semi-continuous text. The Song of Solomon or Wisdom of Solomon comes from chapter 1 verses 13 to 15 and chapter 2 verses 23 and 24. This text, again, that God did not just come to earth to make for all this destruction and that the in that destruction and when things are going wrong, that it still hurts God and understanding that this is not from God, but this is of Satan that is part of the fall of this world, that the devil likes having company, if you want to put it that way. And it's not that God delights in this, that God is weeping along with us in that. The alternative to that is Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 to verse 33. This is probably the happiest section of Lamentations. And I think this is the part where we start getting some hope in these texts this week. And again, it's reiterating that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And that in this, what we may feel like is the Lord's rejection, it will not last forever. There is compassion in this steadfast love. And that He is willing to be with us and go through this with us and not just separate God's self from the pain that we are feeling. And so there's this hope that comes from that and also just in the love that comes through that. The psalm that's attached with that is Psalm 30, all 12 verses of this. And it's then recognizing that the healing, as the healing comes, that the love will help to heal this. And that we then sing praises for God being able to help move us beyond this pain, the things that will bring us down. I really enjoy verse 11. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have taken my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. Sackcloths often used as something to show that you were in mourning. And so this idea that even as we're going through something hard at this moment, God turns it around and makes it into something beautiful. The New Testament reading, the second reading, is from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 to 15. Paul stays along this same idea that 
as we are as a church and going, there are going to be obstacles that sometimes stand in our way. And it's the question then, are we going to let these obstacles define us? Or are we going to realize that the love of God can help us get beyond them? So that there's going to be things that pop up that make the ministry difficult. And one of the things that it's really interesting, even that Paul brings up here, coming from verse 9, that here you have an all-powerful God who is rich in lots of ways, but was willing to humble himself to be able to serve others so that they also might become rich with him. So this idea that there might be sacrifice and different things that go on in order that we are able to live out this ministry in the way that we are called to live it out. The gospel text is out of Mark chapter 5 verses 21 to 43. So Jesus has landed on the other side and is swarmed by people. And so we get this leader, Jairus, from the synagogue coming to Jesus and saying, My daughter is ill at the point of death. Can you come and make her well and live? And as this crowd is moving along, there's this woman who has had hemorrhages or bleeding for 12 years. She has gone through all the different treatments and such, and she has the faith that if I go and touch Jesus, I will be made healed. She kind of makes her way through the crowd, touches the hem of his robe, and instantly is healed. Jesus stops and then asks who this was. The woman then kind of comes up in fear and kind of says, it was I. And Jesus reassures her, it's your faith that has made you well. During this time, they get the message, don't go on bothering Jesus. The daughter has died. Jesus reiterates, no, let me go and see her. And he brings along only Peter, James, and John and his brother, James. So there's a small group of them that come along. And when he gets there, he's questioning, why are you weeping? For she is only sleeping. And he then talks to her and says, little girl, get up. She immediately gets up. She's about 12 years of age and everyone is amazed. And he says to tell this to no one and to give her something to eat. What I find really interesting immediately in this text is that she's about 12 years old, which to me kind of ties in this woman who has been hemorrhaging for 12 years, this tie-in that there's been suffering in different cases and yet Jesus is going to someone who has been suffering for a short period of time and still making time for the person who has been overlooked and has tried and tried and tried and still makes a way for that person also. So really interesting text. But before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do a shameless plug. Oh, Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I highly recommend it between their Sermon Brainwaves podcast, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help bring you this podcast. And I really enjoy being able to hear from a great variety of biblical scholars. But I also really like looking at the lectionary from Vanderbilt.edu because they also have a collection of artwork, which it's really fun to see how has this text been interpreted, how others from around the world have looked at this text over the years. So if you haven't checked out either the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt.edu or WorkingPreacher.org, I'd highly recommend them. What I see with these texts is a theme. And the theme is God cares about us and his creation. 
And in that, when things are going wrong, it hurts God as much as it hurts us. So these times where we feel that the world stands still and we just sit there and write these deep poems of like, where are you, God? What are you doing? And recognizing that God is mourning along with us. And I think really the Song of Solomon text kind of helps with that too. Realizing that God's still going to figure out a way to make this positive. But it also doesn't mean that it isn't also breaking God's heart at the same time. For me, this is something that fits so well into environmentalism and conservation in general. And thinking about from a perspective of a scientist of what are we trying to do with a lot of our research is to help better understand the world around us so that we can make more informed decisions so we don't negatively affect as many things, trying to control as many of the variables as we possibly can. One of the things that I was thinking about when I'm working with this text was thinking about the Endangered Species Act, which was signed December 28th, 1973, and it's been one of the best bills into law for conservation, period. And I have to quote Richard Nixon for, at least here in the States, because this bill also then had effects beyond the United States because it tied in the treaties that we have with other, especially migratory bird species, but other migratory animals, and this has transcended even just mammals and animals into plant species, and it's such a monumental bill and has kind of set the bar on where all of us should be worldwide in a lot of ways. Now, granted, that was in 1973, and a lot has changed since then, but I think what Richard Nixon stated when signing this bill is something that we need to consider here today. Nothing is more priceless and more worthy of preservation than the rich array of animal life with which our country has been blessed. It is a many-faceted treasure of value to scholars, scientists, and nature lovers alike, and it forms a vital part of the heritage we all share as Americans. This then also transcending beyond just America. But what really is the Endangered Species Act? The Endangered Species Act is essentially, as scientists, looking at something, looking at species, whether it's plant or animal, and recognizing that this is something unique and valuable, and then trying to figure out what is the population of this. And when we recognize that, then if it's either threatened or endangered, so endangered being on the edge of extinction, threatened being it's on the path to be endangered to be extinct. So recognizing where it's at, then recognizing what can we do to help preserve and essentially lining up a plan for this to happen. Now, there's been pros and cons to this act, like many things. Pros being that it has helped with species. So we look at like The bald eagle is a great example, a great recovery story when it initially was put on. And again, there was preliminary bills that kind of got wrapped up in the Endangered Species Act in 1973. But in the late 60s, when it was kind of put on, 
there was a little over 400 pairs of bald eagles left in the United States in general. There is now 4,000 pairs. And so it's been one of those where, again, because it's put on the list, you're trying to understand what is affecting this bird to be able to be put on this list. And so as they go through, recognizing that it was habitation loss, it was the areas were just not as clean as they need to be. You look at DDT was another big one that was really affecting the bald eagle and making it harder and harder for it to be able to be utilized. And so in all these different scenarios, it's super helpful to be able to get to that point. The downside to the Endangered Species Act is that 99% of the species that get there don't get to that point. They get on the list, they go through conservation plans, and even as you look at people who deal with this on a daily basis, the money goes into cute and cuddly animals, things that are seen as prestigious like the grizzly bear, things that are somewhat known versus some of these that are maybe a little bit more under the cover and more seen as something that gets in the way of progress at different points and different phases. What this has all meant is that we're looking at what is the value of this list. To me, as I look at this list and I think about it, it's us recognizing and valuing something outside of ourselves and understanding that this is something important. We may not even fully understand the impact that it has, but understanding it is important. So by setting it aside and doing that, it really helps us as a humans then say, this is something that's worth our time and effort. Now, I'm not saying that the Endangered Species Act is perfect and that there shouldn't be some revisions to be able to figure out more effective ways of conservation for these things. I 100% am on board with that. But I also recognize in this, by taking this step, it's the recognition that this is something that is valuable, that is important. Even getting on this list is seeing that there is value, that you are important. When I look especially at the gospel text, I put myself for a moment in Jairus' shoes and we only get very few lines from him, the whole story. But if it's your child that's suffering, what does Jairus react? Is Jairus upset when Jesus stops to heal this woman? Is he recognizing that this is a miracle? And the amazing thing that Jesus is doing at this moment to help this woman that has been overlooked, we will never know from these texts. But I can understand the frustration that very well could be there, along with the amazement that could be just as much there as well. What I also find interesting is in this text of Mark throwing in the detail that this girl is about 12 years old, about the same amount of time that this woman has been suffering from hemorrhages and bleeding, just bleeding, that this girl has had so much joy and brought joy and all these different things, but this woman has been suffering and suffering and suffering, and yet Jesus still stops to take care of her and doesn't overlook her. And that to me is like those non-cute and cuddly animals that are on the endangered species list. The ones that we, okay, it's a fish. What's the value of this fish? You know, or it's the the shrimp, the small shrimp. How many other species of shrimp do we have that would be just fine? It's those types of questions, those types of things 
that are interesting, that are fascinating, that Jesus then in this case is taking the time to recognize this. And I think it also helps us recognize that how often are we overlooking potential help on the way to doing something else? How often are we overlooking potential needs in our own community because we're so focused on a single need? In life, we are called to essentially be the eyes and feet of Jesus, and yet here Jesus is showing that on the way to do something else, he still recognizes that there's someone else in need, which fits in with, oh, especially like the Second Corinthians text. On the way, there was an obstacle. This other woman who comes up and touches, and Jesus doesn't ignore her. Instead, he spends time with her to the point where it looks like he misses the mission of the other thing that was drawing his attention. And instead, Jesus is like, no, don't worry. She's just sleeping and you don't realize it. I'm still working here. Jesus and how God works with us is a helper, but that means that we need to be tuned in enough to be able to recognize the small things that are disturbing God. We've talked about before, and I've reiterated this so many times before, but I'll bring it up briefly again, the Yellowstone Wolf Project and the reintroduction of wolves and how that's totally changed the whole ecosystem for elk, how it helped with erosion, how it helped with just being able to revitalize the ecosystem in Yellowstone. We had seen all these problems and thought they were all, it's going to take a lot of cash for all this to be fixed. And instead we realized how connected all these different problems actually were. Do we not know that maybe the key to being able to help some of these different animals, not maybe just the cute and cuddly ones or the economically ones that would be good for our economics or the ones that we see as prestigious in some way, that maybe there's an underlying factor or something else that's endangered or having issues that if we dealt with that, it would naturally help the other. And to me, that doesn't sound crazy. That very much sounds like what God does for us naturally. Jesus on the way to going and helping someone else find someone else who needs help. And who knows what her story is after that point, how it might change the course of things moving forward. How often we overlook the little things or say that's beyond repair, environmentally, ecologically, or in our throwaway society, that we miss the potential of what repairing that could potentially do. I know the Endangered Species Act has been seen as something that at times gets in the way of progress. For instance, the logging industry and the spotted owl out in the Pacific Northwest of the United States. Part of it is the recognition by putting them on the endangered species list at times, that's the point where we actually start researching them and start actually understanding them. And start understanding more than just the generic, it's an owl so it does this for the ecosystem. And the thing that I think we have to remember in that is if God knows each of us by name and recognizes and acknowledges us all by name, why wouldn't we do that with his creation and at least understand the value of what each of them bring to the table? Because the thing is, if we're trying to understand God, maybe there's a reason they're here too. So maybe it's worth trying to understand. And the thing is, is that sometimes putting our priorities second, which again is what we are called to do as Christians. It's sometimes really hard doing that. I think about over the next few years here, the difficulty that we're going to have with microchip shortages and how that's going to affect technology and shortages of things long beyond when this pandemic is over. 
the ramifications are, are widespread. But can we live without things for a while? Can we learn to move beyond having a microchip in everything and maybe figuring out better ways of doing things, better practices? But that takes observing, that takes being observant, and that takes the moment to recognize the value of things around us. The Endangered Species Act came into existence because they were recognizing the pain of losing some significant species, such as the passenger pigeon or the Carolina parrot, which was North America's only parrot in the States. We often overlook these things and then wonder why later, why are things weird? Why is there seeming to be a gap? And it's because we took care of what was filling that gap. The beauty that was lost in those can never be replaced. So recognizing the beauty of each and individual species, just like God individually recognizes us, is important. So on the way, as we are recognizing these other species and trying to work in conservation to help these others, maybe it's time that we also recognize the ones that we haven't looked at much before. We've talked on this podcast plenty of times over the last three and a half years about the need of conservation, how we're losing species, and how things are disappearing. At what point does that shake us? At what point do we not just look at those as species that aren't cute and cuddly and we don't see any purpose to them? Well, then they'll just die. They'll be like the woman on the street. And recognizing that that's breaking God's heart because that's something that was created for us to enjoy, not just to destroy. So your Twitter question this week is, where are you going to enjoy something that typically is overlooked? It means slowing down. It means trying to look for connections. It means trying to put pieces together. Welcome to the world of science. Welcome to the world of understanding. And I think part of it, it's a major part of our own faith walk of trying to understand who God is for us. To me, I think it's exciting. It's fun. It's fascinating to think about how we can make a difference. And sometimes what seems like a small thing, reintroducing wolves into an ecosystem, does much bigger things. So we've made the first step, writing names down on a list as either endangered or threatened on the way to endangerment. So what are we going to do to reduce those lists as a group? Maybe it's not just throwing money at it, but actually trying to help with the problem. Maybe it's learning some of these species that are around us and maybe figuring out ways that we can help. That's something to think about. Faith without action, what is it? If we're doing the active part of learning about it, we better be able and willing to do the active part of doing it. And where we are now with conservation, we're at that stage where we need to shift to doing it. So we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.